supercars in Sydney, racing all weekend long, shifting from day into dusk into darkness. Lights on, because in Sydney, we ignite the night. We are go to light up our Sydney sky. You don't want to miss this. Panasonic Air Conditioning Sydney Super Night, 19 to 21 July. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars unforgettable. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. G'day everybody, Aaron Noonan here. Great to have you with me on another edition of the V8 Sleuth Podcast powered by Repco. Before we get into this one, a quick plug to it, a quick congratulations. The Castrol Motorsport News Podcast, which we launched last year. Uh, It's every Tuesday. If you don't listen to it, you should. The latest and greatest in news and views of Australian and world motorsport with Andrew Van Leeuwen and Stefan Bartholomeus picked up the Podcast of the Year Award at the Supercars Media Awards last Friday in Sydney. So congratulations to the whole team involved. Uh, which is fantastic because that pod only just started late last year and it's made such an impact already that it's picked up an award within a couple of months. So great stuff. We're really thrilled for the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. So that's every Tuesday, Sleuth Podcast every Wednesday, and the Repco Supercars Weekly Podcast is back up and running now that the supercars are up and racing too. You can hear that every Thursday with the latest of news notes and quotes from the Supercars Championship. If you want to make sure you're across everything with Supercars too, you've got to get the official season guide from the Repco Supercars Championship. It's over 200 pages. It's packed with colour pictures, pages, stats, notes, quotes, all the bits and pieces you need, whether you're on the couch watching the races or you're at the track, driver bios, team profiles, event information, record books, point scores, all the things you need to follow supercars. Jump on our website, order a copy now. It's bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au. They will go really fast and they've become a real collector's piece. Normally they were only available to the media in the past, but last year we made it a retail product with supercars and that continues this year. Now, this is the first of a two-part episode with some stories from inside the Holden Racing Team during its golden era. My guest is Paul Wally Weissel, and Wall was the HRT media man from 1994 to 2004, so he was there right through that amazing period where they won a pile of championships with some very famous names. Now, in this part of the two-part podcast, he shares stories about Peter Brock's return to the factory team. Thomas Mesera and a prank he played on Brocky, Craig Lowndes, Greg Murphy and that post-Bathus 1000 celebration photo shoot. The photos are pretty well known of their hangover from that day. And how the foundations were put in place for HRT to become a dominant team. So here we go, buckle up. Time to start part one of Inside Stories from the Holden Racing Team's golden era on the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Repco. Well, we have managed to grab him into the office. It's been a long time since I've seen you, Wally Weissel. Uh, welcome to Sleuth Headquarters. Good to have you here. Um, oh, there's so much to cover here. There's so much to cover here. You're the keeper of the Holden Racing Team secrets. Uh, I've managed to keep a lid on a few things. So, yeah, it's lovely to be here, Nerns. And uh, Sleuth was the operative word. You know, I had to find the bloody place, and that was that, that took some time. But we got thanks to Miss Miss Google. Ah, uh, yes, that's always coming in handy yeah. to find where you got to go these days in this exactly technological world. Now, for those who might not know, I think a lot of our listeners will know you and and, and your involvement in the sport with the Holden Racing Team during that golden era from the mid nineties to mm-hmm. the to the mid noughties. You were the PR guy. Started off part time, then it got big. Then you went full time through that amazing era of Brock, Lowndes, Scaife, Murphy, Bright, Kelly, you name it, they were all there along the journey. But where does the uh, – by the way, before we get on to this. Okay, yeah, right. You're Paul Weissel, but to us you're Wally. Why are you Wally? Where's the Wally come from? It's only people my age would remember. Yeah. Um, there used to be – when we used to have an afternoon newspaper called The Herald, uh, there used to be a comic strip in it called Wally and the Major. 
I was working with a uh, an ad company at the time, or, or rep- ad representative company at the time, and um, one of the guys was putting on weight. And the girls in the office one day said, poked him in the tummy and went, oi, oi, yeah, puddin'. And then they went, oh, well, because there was the boss, him and me. So it became Wally, the Major and Puddin. Now, the Major and Puddin lasted less than a week, but the Wally thing stuck. So it became an office thing initially and then those amongst us in the advertising agencies and, oh, yeah, Wally will be this or Wally that. So, Wally, well, okay, well, Wally it is and Wally. And so and then I ended up back in radio at Fox and, again, Wally was an internal thing. Um, and then someone on air one day, Kevin Hilly or Dennis O'Kane or somebody went, went uh, oh, Wally, what about such and such? And so the listeners went, oh, Wally, who? <laughs> What's that? And so it just grew again. So then the, the, the broader Melbourne public through the listeners to the Fox FM then got used to Wally. And so the Wally – and I suppose it's alliteration, Wally Weissel, it sort of just it rolled. rolls pretty well, yeah. So it, And it sort of just went from there and you just sort of shrug your shoulders and it's, it's even used at home. And if I get called Paul, <laughs> I know I'm in trouble. I was about to say, yeah, Wally's normal, yeah. Paul's bad. Paul, oh, no, what have I done now? Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. So you, you mentioned the Fox there. So mm. it, clearly – you end up at the Holden Racing team in 94 when Peter Brock arrives there. Mm-hmm. We'll backfill a little bit there of the, the year before that where Brock was and where you were yep. and the, the roads leading to that. Yep. But were you a rev head as a, as a kid? Oh, you, where did you grow up? What, 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 what um, got you into it? Albury. Yep. Uh, born and raised in Albury. Um, knew uh, the, um, uh, the, uh, the, the Jones family. Yep. Um, so I would go out to... Uh, Hume Weir, oh, yeah, yeah. lovely old circuit yeah, yeah. that I can't remember much of it because most of the time we went out there, of course, it cost you know, six or 12 or however many VBs. <laughs> but we used to go out there um, when the races were on and um, uh, a whole bunch of – I was at – when I first left school was at Preston Motors in Auburn, spare parts. Um, and we'd go out get there extremely early. So the, the, the deal was you either bought or mum cooked – a whole chook the night before and then you'd meet up down at the ice works in Auburn by a bag of crushed ice with your esky, which is full of 2410s, and wrapped in foil a chook and then you put the ice in on that. And then you'd dive out there and you'd be waiting at the Humeware circuit for the gates to open and then we'd go, immediately go around to that big southern loop area for anyone that remembers it or knows it uh, and we go uh, and you park right up against the fence and look down on the track and there was par- uh, car par- uh, car space, car space, etc. And we'd link sort of blankets between the cars and sit down there and watch the race and gargle on, on the old <laughs> VBs. And so that's, that's where the motor racing thing came in. Then I, went, I wanted to be a bit more c- closer than that so I had a, a word to them. They said, well, you can come out and help in scrutineering, not actually scrutineering, but uh, doing the paperwork mm. and yeah, mm. signing, tick that off here, yeah, do all that sort of stuff. So that, that was always there. And you'd, you'd, funnily enough, never went to Winton, even though I lived in North because it's too bloody far away, <laughs> but went down to Calder. <laughs> oh, but Calder wasn't too far away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Calder was. So we did that. So that's how I, I, I enjoyed motor racing. So I always did. Yeah. Um, so and who was the? Did you have a favourite back in the day? Favourite driver that you were all in on? Uh, yeah. Um, my big hero initially was um, Graham Tubby Ritter. Yeah. Because he had a chocolate brown FJ. Holden with a big wide blue stripe over the top and that thing went like the clappers. Um, there was him. Brian Thompson used to turn up there with a um, – because uh, that was the sports racing closed era, mm. uh, sports sedans as we call them now, and people would shoehorn anything large into anything small. <laughs> and um, Brian Thompson shoehorned a, a, a V8, I think it wasn't a Hillman Imp, um, which was wicked, um, and there was all these <laughs> other evil. things. So, evil. Oh, evil, they're all evil. Uh, and then, of course, Brock turned up with the um, the Austin yeah. with a Holden engine in it. Yeah, and we just looked at this thing and went, "You are kidding! Who do that with an Austin? You know, tip it over a cliff, but you know, race one." <laughs> um, and uh, uh, Norm Beachy, oh, yeah. uh, Beach used to turn up there for the June long weekend meeting, um, and he had at that stage. Uh, the Chevy Nova. Mm. And the last race of the day was always uh, a handicap race, five-lap handicap. Um, and Norm used to put the, the, the Nova 
is the last car off the track. Now, the ones that were first away were just completing their first lap. And as you know, Albury was a very short circuit. Mm. Um, and they were completing their first lap when they let Norm go. <laughs> and it was almost dusk. Uh, it's around the 4.35 o'clock mark. Uh, Norm had the headlight flashes on and he took off. Mm. And in, in that, he only had four laps, they had five, and he'd win. Mm. Uh, and this thing steaming down and coming out below us at Southern Lip was just sensational. Um, loved it. Um, but that's where the block thing started because you, you just appreciated what he could do with that horrible machine. Mm. Um, and then when you found out later that no one else could drive it. Yeah, which others uh, did find out yeah. that. No, no one else, no one could, whatever they did, could they couldn't it. do what he did. So he became your hero. And then when he, of course, he got the step up to the dealer team um, at, uh, at Bathurst and what have you and all the other stuff that went with it was, uh, mm. yeah. Um, and, and then it went, We, I was, as I said, at Preston Motors and went about uh, 68, I reckon, maybe 69, but we decided, let's go to Bathurst. Why not? That's what you do, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Top table long weekend, yeah. as it was then. So it was a bunch of us for Preston Motors and one bloke said, oh, I'll take mum and dad's caravan. Oh, no. Like, okay. Yeah, we'll take the caravan. Why do I feel that this didn't go well? <laughs> no, the caravan was fine. It held a lot of beer. <laughs> um, We've got a beer thread going so far here, Wall. Well, oh, mate. A fair bit of beer here. That's what you did. Yeah, and that's good. we um, headed off because we worked 9 to 12 on Saturday at and um, then left Preston Motors and then we were straight out the door after that. And, um, and and headed up to Bathurst from Albury. Um, and I f- forget what we were towing it with, doesn't matter. Um, and we got there quite late on Saturday. So we've seen none of the practice, none of the qualifying, nothing. Um, and we got there quite late Saturday and they said, oh, there's a caravan park. We'll go over there. Yeah, caravan. Wake someone up. And said, oh, um, yeah, we're going to have a site, please. Powered site? I mean, yeah, need to be here a week ago, mate, if you want to powered something. Oh, okay. Well, uh, um, you see, you can go and this is real here, rookie no stuff power. here. Yeah, real rookie stuff. This is when you first go to Bathurst. Yeah. And so we went over and parked in this area, a non-powered area, but I'd had been smart enough because Dad used to mow the lawns with an electric lawnmower and we had an exceedingly long power cord <laughs> before batteries, I might add. And so I went, oh, yeah, it's all right. If we can plug in over there, we can get power. Oh, yeah. Hang on, how are we going to do that? Didn't have a double adapter. Back into Bathurst we went, now about midnight or something, found a service station open, no 7 Pretty much in those the only days. thing that would be open. Yes, yeah. um, and that was only open because of Bathurst weekend. And he, uh, and we went, oh, no, mate, I haven't got anything like that. No, I don't sell those things. Oh, oh, yeah, we went Bathurst, Caravan Park, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, I have one of these. And he got one from down the back. <laughs> so we went back uh, and we thought, we've got to get this double adapter in and then everything else back in the, from all these other caravans. So we went out quick, plugged it in, and as soon as we turned everything on, it overloaded and shut it down. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the new bikes that bowl in at midnight have yeah, just yeah, absolutely exactly. stuffed yeah. it for and, everyone. And as for the rest of the weekend, I can remember no more. <laughs> I have no idea. No idea who won, what cars were in it. I can't even remember if or where we sat at the track. Cannot remember. Have no idea. Well, the beer must have been good then. Yeah, great beer. <laughs> <laughs> and you would have never guessed at that point that that Brock guy that was banging around in that Austin that had been banging around in a Monaro at Bathurst, yep. you're going to end up virtually side by side with yep. him for a fair amount of a really important part of his his career right towards the, towards the, the, the back end. end of it. Yeah. Supercars in Sydney, racing all weekend long, shifting from day into dusk into darkness. Lights on, because in Sydney. We ignite the night. We are go to light up our Sydney sky. You don't want to miss this. Panasonic Air Conditioning Sydney Super Night. 19 to 21 July. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars. Unforgettable. So how does the Fox and the journalism and the radio get you to that pathway from being in Albury to Melbourne? And where's yeah. that link come from? Um, I... Um Left Albury originally because I wanted to sort of have pastures a bit different to mm. to just working in small Well, you knew that Brad Jones was going to own the place. So, you, know, <laughs> you, you had to get out. Fair point. Oh, uh, dear. So I thought, oh, well, I'll move to Sydney and I want to get into radio media or in some way, shape or form. Um, I was doing amateur theatre in Albury and the local boss of the ABC Regional Radio uh, was part of the theatre group. Not, he said, this is what I'd like to do. And he said, oh, no worries, I'll get you a job with the ABC. 
because um, you could in those days, mm. and that's mm. how you got a job. You knew someone. Mm. So I ended up upping sticks at uh, about 69, 70, 1969, 70, um, and uh, up moved to Sydney, got a job at the ABC in Sydney um, in the uh, mail department. Oh, yeah, well, you got to start somewhere. Everyone started. Yeah, you got to start somewhere. And that was the best place because you went around all the different departments both in the radio side of things on the southern part of the city and over to Gore Hill at the television station and you eventually uh, would work out where you wanted to go. And I went, oh, yeah, cool. And, and so I got a job on the studio floor in the television side of things uh, and did that for quite a while and, and that was a permanent position. The, the thing with the ABC, like the public service... If you're in, you're in. If you've got a permanent position, you can then go and do anything within the organisation, but you've got that permanent position. Mm. So I had that. Uh, okay. And then someone that I'd met doing that was doing weekend radio work at Mudgee in New South Wales, 2MG Farm Radio. <laughs> and um, I said, oh, that sounds like fun. So you want to come up? Well, yeah, I'll go up and watch what happens one weekend with you. And did that. And it was on air about later that day. Oh, what I'm doing. Um, but... I, I loved it. I loved, I yeah, loved the thought of radio. Uh, just, just that was that was for me uh, the thing. And so that eventually came to be. They said, "Well, you're on a full time job." So much to my mum and dad's disgust, I bone my permanent position at uh, the ABC to move to a very, very small country radio station. <laughs> um, but loved it and was there a, a couple of years, and then got uh, 2ST in Nara opened in seventy four, uh, and I went there in seventy four. Um, brand spanking new, fresh out of the box, right? So some wonderful, um, and did that till about in '76. And so I had two years there. I'd worked in uh, on air, and you get bored with saying, you know, uh, nine to five, you know, the, the, you know, find a mile, nine <laughs> I was, degrees. I was going to say the traffic report's not very yeah, big in no, Budgie no, either. It's oh, yeah, a pretty quick yeah, one. Yeah, from five till five oh five, got to peek out, um, and and playing the same music because you had narrow playlists and that. Uh, so it, then I went journalism. Um, and sales as well. Mm. So I had that gamut of learning the whole aspect of the of the radio um, station. So I did that for a couple of years. I thought time to broaden the pastures again. Um, and I thought, well, rather than move to Sydney, I thought I'd move to Melbourne. Football's better for a start. Sorry, Sydney people. I do agree. I do agree. <laughs> um, and also it was close to Warwick to Mum and Dad who were starting to get on a bit. Um, so I moved down there. I didn't have a, any idea what to do. Uh, job-wise, but I used a couple of contacts that I'd built up through the radio station and got a job um, with uh, the the Wally and the Major Company, which was a, a company called AdRep. It was a division of the 2SM group radio stations that handled all their on-air sales through the advertising agencies in Melbourne. Um, and that was the first of my lucky periods in my life because that was 2SM. And 2SM at that stage became not long afterwards, the biggest thing in radio in Australia. I mean, we're talking a 25% share of the Sydney market. That's big, now, these, really big. The radio stations today, if they can get a 4 or 5%, they're, they're quite happy sure, and, yeah. and they want a segment of a market. Mm, mm. Uh, well, yeah, two, two S seem to have 25% share and you had a million plus listeners a week to the thing mm. and they just broke all the rules yeah. uh, and that was just fantastic. So that was nice. Um, did that for about yeah, four years, I think, then uh, FM started in Melbourne. Yep. Or FM started everywhere. everywhere. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but Melbourne and Sydney. Um, and I went, yeah, no, I could see 2SM wasn't going to get a licence, obviously, and I had a fair idea that it was going to get hammered by this better-sounding thing, mm. the better, a better product. Um so I had what was then Eon, now Triple M, Eon chasing me to go and work for them in again in sales. Um, and uh, Fox had a crack at me as well and I just felt that the Fox mix was a, a better one and so I went there and again started with that when the share of the place was about a two or a three um, within a couple of years we're rating 16s, mm. which was in a bigger radio market so I was still doing down and I was just killing um, so that was good. Um, then I was frustrated with some of how we presented stuff on air from a sport point of view because, it, you know, good team of journos did all that sort of stuff. No idea about sport. Mm. They'd, they'd mangle players' names in footy and they wouldn't and report on something. particularly I'm thinking motorsport here with a motorsport passion for yourself when they're 
mangling the name of the guy that won the Formula One race overnight or the touring car round <coughs> got Perth it. on the weekend, you you're tearing your hair. I used to go in there on a Friday afternoon and say, these are the main sporting highlights to watch for all the weekend, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and it gave them some direction. Then I'd start going to So are you the sales guy telling them yeah. to do this? Yeah. I'm sure they took it well. They're pretty good. Oh, really? <laughs> Right. Um, so then I started going to a Calder or, or a Sandown or places like that and I thought, I'm, look, I'm going here because I want to be there. Um, I, I think I wangled media passes because I was in radio. And, doesn't, um, doesn't matter so, how you get it. You, 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 you get got it. it. Um, so I said, do you want me to call in? So they said, oh, yeah, that's fine. So I started calling in if I was going to a race meeting here and there um, and, and then I'd, I'd – Encapsulate that with whatever else else was happening with um, in in the AFL or whatever, and so quick scores around the ground. So that that that. So I wrapped it into a little sporting piece um, for that Saturday and Sunday afternoon. Um, so that got to a point where, well, do you want to go back on air full time? Um, so you haven't done it since Country Radio, and I went, oh, if you want me to. So I ended up back in journalism again. <laughs> um, I ended up going to the Commonwealth Games uh, in New Zealand. Oh, uh, uh, and, Huh? At Auckland, Auckland. yeah, um, which was just in 1990. Yeah, yeah. 1990, so that was wonderful. Uh, and that was to go and learn what needed to be done because they were going to send me to the Olympics, which was going to be in 92. Barcelona. Correct. Um, so it was go and learn the ropes, what do you need to do? And we worked with other guys from, say, the Macquarie or 3W Network and that, uh, that group over there, and we worked out that you go there and I'll get information off you, you take the sound recordings I'm going to need for that. And we were going to pull all the stuff, it would have worked fine. Uh, so that was good fun. Um, then became sort of sports director for the Osterio Group, so two day to um, Fox FM, SAFM in Adelaide, et cetera, et cetera, and you'd, you'd feed stuff out to them and um, went on the Solar Challenge to uh, from Darwin to Adelaide and then onto the Grand Prix and then you started doing Grand Prix stuff and so it, it sort of grew and grew and grew and the uh, motor racing thing still found a way the to be motor racing thing was Funnily every enough, opportunity you yeah. had you got motor motor I'm, I've got to go to Bathurst yeah, got oh to go. yes, I yes, yes I need to go to Bathurst because that's huge so um, you're, yes, you're it is. Bathurst and I used to take Kenny Kavanagh from two day in Sydney and we go up and, and run a tandem job on the thing up there and, and did it and doing top of you know, previews and top of the hour updates and all that sort of stuff um, and had a lot of fun. So, uh, so then that's you're starting to get to know the teams. I was at Bathurst the year that was the round of the World Touring Car mm. Championship. I mean, one of the biggest shit fights of all time. But God, we had fun um, because yeah, um, yeah. Tom would Walkinshaw would crack it with someone. And say, that cars aren't legal, you laddie. Those cars aren't bloody legal. I'm telling you that late new. And then you go over to Rouse or whoever and say, oh, Tom Walkinshaw says your cars aren't legal. You. Oh, and it was just shit fun. We had so much fun. And we spent most of the time because the BMW, the snitcher team, had the best team kit and, and goose down rally jacket thingos. Mm, yep. And we're saying, how can we work on these things because they're far better than the crap we've got here in Australia. And they, no, you can't. they had to hand it back every night because there's people like us trying to cut deals. So <laughs> um, we didn't do it. So, so that was that was Bathurst. And, um, and then in 90... Oh, 91 probably, um, around the 91 mark, all of a sudden Fox said, oh, they called me and they said, You're, um, we're changing our format and our target audience is um, women 16 to 29. I thought, they don't like sport. Mm, no, nah, I'm out, aren't I? Yeah, and yeah. so mm. eight and a half years I'd, I'd spent there and um, any of us that were coming up to 10 years, funnily enough, didn't have a Didn't quite get anymore. to 10. Didn't quite get to 10. Because you got stuff at 10, like long yeah, service. Yeah, and, long, yeah, and all that yeah, other yeah. stuff. None of that. Oh, it's convenient. So, <laughs> so then we, um, this, this short story getting longer, um, so then I thought, well, what am I going to do? So I thought, well, okay, I'll go and freelance. So I started freelancing. Um, I was doing uh, the North Belmont Giants uh, court okay. announcing in the yeah. in the NBL. That is, was the was it the Glasshouse? Yes, where, where Collingwood is now. Yes, yeah, and that was the first boom for the NBL. Oh, big early nineties. We, we would sit Massive. there in that joint, and when we had it really cranking, you'd have six and a bit thousand people, not a spare seat, in it, and it would rock mm. absolutely rip it. Um, and I'd say to them, the speaker systems here is really crap. You know, if we're going to do this sort of stuff and sound effects and music and everything, we need better speakers. They spent a fortune on the place. Uh, and I said, I really want, you know, headphone, remote headphone microphone so I can move. I'd go up in the, in the audience and walk amongst them, you know, and do all that and keep back down the floor and away we went. <laughs> uh, so that was absolute gun. So I had that and I said, okay, what else can I do? So um, I got um, uh, Ian Major. Yeah. At uh, 3KZ as it was then, now Gold FM. Um, I said, uh, Wally the Major here. Um, 
you know, you know how to do panel operating and things like that. Can you come and panel the football calling for us? And, oh, okay, mate, that's right. Eh? So I started working for them on Saturdays and Sundays, panelling for um, the captain and the major. Um, <laughs> and then they started giving me uh, other shifts to do there. And then I started working with um, 3UZ, the sports radio, or the racing radio station, panel operating, selling uh, PR stuff there. So I had you know, that going. Then I got... Um, then I got the um, ground announcer. This, is a, this, is a, this was a great gig. The ground announcer's role at the MCG for the cricket. That's pretty good, particularly if you love cricket. Oh, no, you loved it, yeah. Boxing day test. Didn't have to pay for entry. Got a car parking spot. You got fed. You got everything. Your best seat in the house. And and we decided because, you know, the MCC is so staid as we know, everything's proper. Uh, and we started to play silly buggers because they wanted a little bit of what we did in the basketball brought to a little bit of pizzazz, cricket. Little bit a of little bit, not, not much. too much, just a smidgen. No, just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And so we'd sort of start pushing the end because there's someone at home, 19, you know, um, would um, uh, Mr. Paul Roberts, Mr. Paul Roberts, please report to the Bay 10 uh, office, please. You know, so all this, you lost this, someone's had a heart attack, and whatever. Um, and then, you know, you'd, you'd start playing with it and, and you'd come up with some strange names uh, <laughs> over the PA. And only because it was in the press room, the microphone for the, for the ground announcing, um, and you've got all these mad press hounds winding you up saying, come on, come on, come on. Do this, do you know? this, say this. And, um, and, and I think David Boone got out one day and um, – I know, and, and that's when Billy Birmingham was big, mm-hmm. and, and I said as he walked off the ground, you know, and there goes the short backward square Tasmanian with the square leg, uh, and thought no more about it. And it was years later I was talking to Ian Healy, and I went da 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 da. This is what I did. Remember, he says, "Was that you?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "Geez, he said, Bernie was going to walk up there if he knew where you were. and was going to belt your head in." He said, "He's throwing the bat when he's walking." Oh God, almighty. so we did all that. That was fun. Um, so I did that um, and uh, other bits and pieces, and I was quite busy. Um, but in '93, I was a bit cheeky earlier in the year and wrote a letter to a guy called Steve Fraser at mm. Advantage International, which was a PR and promotions company. And Brock's banner at that stage was Advantage Racing yeah. because Steve was organising the finances for it after his fallout with um, Holden. So I wrote to him and I said, Steve, I said, you look after the Melbourne Tigers. I'm ground and, no, court announcing for the North Melbourne Giants. I said I won you know, a couple of awards for motor racing coverage, etc. Um, and I said, and you've got uh, advantage racing with Peter Brock. Um, and I said, you need me. As I said, very cheeky. <laughs> and he rang me up and he said, he said, if you'd only ring, rung me a couple of weeks ago, he said, I've just appointed someone. I went, oh, well, it was a good idea. Anyway, about May, so two, three months later, he rang me and he said, Brock doesn't like this bloke. He said, you're in. Can you, can you, can you come down and have a chat? So then we started with Advantage Racing, doing their, their PR. I thought, okay, why don't we do it? All right, that's okay. We'll work it out. Go with it. It's pretty small uh, things, but you had that Brock name. Mm. So, and, and, and Mobile obviously was yeah. so welded with him. And that- that's where the important person came in because the – uh, sponsorship manager at, at Mobile, that's because Mobile then was Australia. It mm. wasn't um, South Pacific, which is handled out of Singapore now. So they did everything here. Um, and the sponsorship manager it was a guy called uh, Ken O'Brien, mm. one of the greatest blokes in the world. Ken, yeah. you know, one of the maddest blokes in the world. <laughs> and if you thought I didn't want a beer at Bathurst those previous years, mate, he, he life revolved around a beer and a smoke. Um, <laughs> but he was a good, good bloke. And if he likes you and if he wanted you, you got looked after. So all of a sudden I started getting mobile gigs um, as well. So um, went through the, the rest of the year and Brock's – Things flopping about because it was built in a small, an oily rag, and then Crenos put the deal together at the end of '93 to get Brock back into Prodigal Son Returns, correct yeah, to the factory town. Uh, and I walked in. I'd finished, uh, I think, a morning at Three UZ, I think it was, and then went down to uh, Port uh, to Port Melbourne, yeah, wherever Advantage Racing was. I think it was Port uh, Melbourne, North Melbourne, I think. North there? Melbourne, yeah, down yeah, there oh, somewhere, yeah, anyway. somewhere yeah. Yeah. North Port, whatever. <laughs> in Melbourne, um, it was in Melbourne, and yeah, we rocked into the place, and they someone said, "Oh, you're just in time here. Have a beer." And I said, "What's that?" And they said, "Yeah, well done, shortest career in PR." What? What? And they said, "Oh, yeah, Advantage Racing's closing down. Brock's going to 
um, to the Hodges Holden dealer team, the Holden racing team. I went, oh, okay. And um, Kenny O'Brien was in the corner, but don't worry, Walt, you'll be looked after. I said, oh, okay, right, I can. And, and then Creno rang me, I've known him for a few years, and he said that, um, yeah, you'll be coming across as well. I went, oh, okay, that'll be nice. <laughs> and then, you know. November goes past, December goes past, January goes past. Heard nothing. I think, oh, okay, right, eh? so much for this. Um, and uh, anyway, Crenna rang me in February uh, and he went, yeah, you're in. Um, and I said, oh, okay, fine. Um, and so I started again on a part, as I said, on a part-time basis with all this other stuff. Um, but all of a sudden the stakes are somewhat higher because mm. you've got the brand. Mm. Yeah, you know, you've got the Holden Racing Team, not Advantage Racing. Yeah, and it's Holden. It's the it's block, team. It's proper. Mm. You know, and you've got some people who you, you you know who I'm referring to were somewhat miffed on not getting that gig because mm. he'd been doing a lot of the Holden stuff for a lot of years, and he just for, presumed that that was going to roll straight into his little ballywick, and all of a sudden the wankers come in and got it. So we weren't very helpful at the start. <laughs> uh, Mr. Plastic, but these days uh, we got on famously after that. But it was initially it was like well, it's my gig, yeah. But yeah, you know, but then when the team's first year or so wasn't that good, he thought, oh well, that's a right of poison chalice. I didn't want that anyway, you know. And um, <laughs> but, but at that point when you bowled and when Brock bowls in, it had lurched. He had won Bathurst fees earlier with Win and Gricey. But it had sat out half a year and Thomas had come in to try to fix it and their low was gone. Mm. It was a very unsure ship and it wasn't what it became, that Goliath behemoth that was no. the no. mighty Clayton Holden racing team. It was just another team, but they were the, you know, Gibson Motorsport was better. They won more stuff. Yeah. Glenn Seaton won a championship. Mm. Dick Johnson was winning more races. Mm. HRT wasn't. I mean, it quickly grew up the level in those next couple of years and mm. the kid turning up was a big part of that. Yep. But the HRT that you roll into is not the HRT that you knew later on. It was very different. Yep. Um, it was very different. I mean, there, when when I started there, there was a staff of 10. Mm. Uh, so there was a, a, a couple of engine blokes, um, some chassis blokes. Uh, there was um, Jeff, obviously Greg, and there was one girl in the office and then I came in and there was, I was where do I sit? And they, well, no space for you, find a chair somewhere. Um, and every time it was basically in an open area where Jeff had his desk um, and Jeff thinks, oh, who's this wanker? Um, <laughs> so every time we wanted to have a chair, someone, oi, you piss off for a second, we don't need to have a I chat with this chair. one. <laughs> and uh, I need your chair and, you know, and they'd say, oh, okay, fine. So I thought I'm going to have to bide my time with this one because Jeff, Jeff was, uh, he's just been brought in as well. Um, to run it, um, and uh, or promoted to run it, coming from from working on chassis, um, and he, uh, it's fair to say, Jeffrey had a few rough edges at that stage. Um, he wasn't the most subtle of blokes, and uh, I think we knocked a few of those edges off him over the years, um, and he came very good. But um, so I, I, yeah, I felt a little bit okay. What am I doing here? And then when we were going away to the first races, it was like. Uh, last in the office said, oh, are you going to races? I, you know, I thought, well, don't PR guys need to go to the races? Mm. And do we get a per diem? Why? Oh, okay. Well, that's fine. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, the, it was the, the first little while was a bit interesting. Um, but then as we as we did more um, and Jeff sort of said, oh, well, he's okay. He's not just a, a wanker. He's a wanker, <laughs> but he's not just a wanker. <laughs> but he's um, our wanker. Yeah, and then the guys in the – and I, I tried to make myself useful within the team to say that, you know, rather than treating people – you remember how uh, Brock used to denigrate the, the, the crews? The mules. The mules, yeah. And, and, and I thought, no, these guys are obviously hugely talented people um, because like, you can't do what you do without having a bit of knowledge. Mm. And if to get into the racing side of things and to be try to be that bit better, you have to be pretty bloody good. So I was pretty much in awe of what they did. Some of them were obviously quite reticent because they weren't public type people. Um, but but once you got to know them and respected what they did, um, they became a great friends and very helpful uh, and highly talented people. And and so therefore you became accepted more into the team. Um, so because you had to work. As a team, mm. um, and most of the PR people in motorsport were contractors, 
They, they were sort of on. They were, wore the same uniform, but they were kind of on. They came the, in the for team race weekends. Would consider them not part of the team. No. They were the PR guy. Or girl. Yeah, and his contract. Yeah. He came in for the race weekend, etc. Mm, I was, in, I was out, probably about it? the only, I think, full timer within oh, the team. Just about. Yeah. Just about. And even that stage, yes, it started ninety four. I was part time. Wasn't until ninety six. Went ninety six when it started to get, get happening, mm. um, and the role became bigger. Um, I said to Crano, "It's either I'm in or I'm out because I can't do I'm juggling. Yeah, I can't. Stuff. You know, yeah, too many yeah, balls yeah. in the air. So that's when I went on full time then. But but that initial one and um, was uh, was very. Very interesting. Uh, very, yeah, I thought, I'm going to make this. Or what am I doing? Because you had the great god of Holden um, would, would fire bullets from wherever, mm. you know, and um, the, the, to think where they are now, well, there is none. Nowhere, yeah. There is none. And yet at the time, if Holden said jump, it was, I'll climb a wall, sir. Mm. Um, you know, I don't like that colour scheme. Oh, but we did it because I don't like it. All right, we'll change uh, okay, it. We'll change it. Mm. Um, yeah, and all that sort of stuff, you know. Mm. And, and uh, I famously remember where at the, I think the launch of the the VT, mm. um, it was a big launch, obviously, big car like that, first car like that. Um, and the, one of the Holden guys had teed up for a Dorothy Dixer from the floor. Media, I'm not, I never knew who, who asked the question. And, you know, the thing, you know, we've launched, we've done, we're chatting, we're doing all this sort of stuff, and all of a sudden this voice came up. Um, will the uh, VT Commodore, uh, Ross, get, um, become available with a bench seat? We don't make taxis. <laughs> as he walked off the stage because that was his closer. That's what he wanted to do. That's yeah. what he turned it up. And, of course, that's a reference to Ford, which always had a bench seat and had all the taxi market. He said, we don't make taxis. Yeah. And that was that was their, uh, the, the whole attitude of Holden and, when you were not used to it, um, it became quite uh, quite a, a frightening thing. But we got through it. It was good fun. Australian Muscle Car Magazine is one of the most respected voices in motoring media. There's been over 140 issues and thousands of stories published in the last 22 years. From the amazing muscle car machines of the past to the present and the stars that steered and built them, AMC has something for everyone. Delve into the heritage of homegrown high performance now at musclecarmag.com.au. One of the things that you had, which was great but also would have created a lot of work, is you had the Brock factor. So, I mean, he turns up, he's Brock, but he turns up as a paid driver now. It's not his team, it's not, he doesn't have any say. He's turned up to steer, basically. And then we have, what, four years of Brock with HRT, culminating in that big final year where, of course, he. He, he retired in the big farewell tour of all those events and you probably sat in the dark till all hours with autograph signings and all that sort of stuff, which we will cover off on. What was he like to work with when he, he rolled in the door at HRT? Because it was a different phase and era for him in his professional life and career. Was he this confident Brock bloke that everyone knew off the telly that bowled in or was he, you know, was he literally the prodigal son returning home? I don't know anyone here. This is all, all new to me. No, he was, um, he was typical Brock. It was full on. Everything was great. Wow, tickety boo! Fantastic, isn't it? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? A seat fitting? Are we signing stuff? What are we doing? He was he was typical Brock, and mm-hmm. I'll give him full credit for that. From being, you know, when it used to be my team, and now I'm just a paid driver. And he was, um, yeah, um, it, it was more than just that PR thing. It was trying to manage, you know, with with Bev and him, uh, or between Bev and him, and try to manage his load. Mm. Um, because he, had, he would just keep saying yes. Because he keeps saying yes. Mm. And he had mobile and, you know, they had claims on him and then Holden now had claims on him again because, oh, yeah, we've got Brock. And so you've got all these, these people dragging. And, yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, all people dragging on the time. So you had to, to, to work out how to manage it. So, you know, Bev and I would be, you know, just about every week saying, well, what, what have we got? What, what's your windows? What are my windows? Because you're going to run. You know, and not quite not quite fifty year old into the ground, forty five year old at that stage. You're going to be running him into the ground if we keep you know working the way everyone would ideally want him to work. So then we had to manage the load, and we actually learned from that because then we could learn to manage the load with lounge, with scape, etc. Because you knew what was feasible, wasn't wasn't what wasn't, um, and so you just didn't automatically say yes to whoever rang up. Because you weren't out there trying to get coverage now. 
because the coverage is coming to you when you've got broth, you're the HRT, and you start to get a few results Mm. on the board. It's not just the Calamity Motors. It had perhaps been a bit before. Mm. So you go from this offensive position of write about us, talk about us, put our photos in the paper to they're going to do that anyway, we'll just put up the barrier. I mean, (coughs) Creno's famous line and saying was always about putting a big wall about the place and keeping everyone out. And and that's kind of where it started because it had to – from your position, because everyone wanted a piece mm. of the team, Brock, and then obviously later Craig and Scaife, and, <coughs> and that's where it all came from. The other, the other thing you got to remember too is because Brock was such a well-known name, not just in motor racing circles. Mm. So now you had areas of the media that couldn't give a fat rat's clacker about motor racing, but there was this Brock, Brock guy. And, and so all of a sudden you're being, you know, oh, Fred Flange here from the ABC. I'd like to do an interview with Peter. You know, could he possibly come into the studios in Sydney? No, Dill. <laughs> yeah, he lives in Melbourne. You know, do something other fun, you know. But and different, um, you had um, like the Weekly Times because um, Brock's on a property where he raises kangaroos uh, and a few other bits and pieces up at uh, Nutfield. And um, or can we do an article on Peter on, on farm management? And Peter would have a clue about farm management, really. <laughs> but it was a little hobby farm and it was good fun to yeah. do. So, so all of a sudden, yes, your load increased um, because these outside the normal motorsport box people wanted a piece of him as well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a real shuffle, but it, we learnt as we went along how to um, how to get it done um, and to, to manage the load and say, well, okay. And then when we go to motor racing weekend, I had their day mapped out basically in half-hour blocks. Mm. You know, you, you have breakfast here, you've got a meeting there, blah, 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 blah. Okay, we've got a window there that you can do autographs. You've got a window there where we can go and do, um, you know, 20 minutes with, a, with one of the sponsors, you know. And, and, and when I say we're out, we're out. And you became really as – got. A, more confident, and B, seeing the necessity and the balance required in the race team, I became really good at being an arsehole. Yeah, I was about to say, you had to become the real bastard yeah. who went, sorry, guys, we've yeah. got, oh, there's that, I think there was that video from when he was retiring at Sandown and he's mobbed by people yeah. and you're in the back of it going, thanks, everyone, you're trying to be so nice about mm. it, but we've got to get him in the car, we've got to get him dressed because he just kept reaching he for another would, autograph yeah. book and a poster and a cap and a pen yeah. and a – and you, you were literally standing yeah. there. You can see yeah. you just expiring yeah. by the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so this, you know, the, the great strength of it all was also the great difficulty of it all yep. was, you know, because he was so good with all that stuff yes. that you're the guy that that's not good that, for. Yeah, 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 that's right. Because he, he couldn't say no to anyone because in some case someone would say, oh, you know, brought, he's a moon bastard. Mm. But if it's the PR wanker, no, he's, he's a, a bastard. moon bastard. Yeah, <laughs> but he went, said to me one day, like, I don't know where, Oran Park or somewhere. And something. he said, I haven't had any lunch yet. I said, whose fault's that, Brock? I've been trying to shut this down for the last 20 minutes. I said, you know, so if you stop signing stuff, give me your pens. I said, we won't have a problem, all right? So when I say go, we go. Yeah. All right? So we're going. <laughs> the other one we did was I, I wrote about it in the, in the, um, uh, in the MAG article, early, early doors with uh, Muscle Car MAG. Um, that, that were at Bathurst in the uh, merchandising centre doing an appearance. That's another one you had to try and fit in the Bathurst weekend on the Saturday. Um, and um, anyway, we finally got out of there and we are walking back to, to get across the track back to the paddock and I handed him his cap back because I'd been holding on to it, uh, handed him me back and he's immediately going, yeah, Peter Brock. He's done the scribbling on it. Enjoy, he was enjoy, another one. enjoy life, Peter Brock. Hand it back to me. I said, what did you do that for? He just he automatically I said, it's your hat. <laughs> I said, here, put it on. He said, no, bugger it. I'm, I'm putting that on. Sign my own hat. Look like a deal. So we gave it away to a passing kid. And, uh, oh, cap- oh, can you go back to merchandising and get me a cap, please? Oh, made his day. Now, it wasn't just Brock there at HOT at the time because in 015 was Tomas. Tomas. Um, Mezera. Mezera. you got to get it right. Mezera. We did a chat with Thomas last year on the podcast <laughs> and it is one of the most enjoyed by everyone, not just the racing stuff, but his story of coming from Checo what he went through, what he saw, how he did it. it literally, it's a doco or a movie, yeah. seriously. And it you is, talk about it. Yeah. I, I sat here because we were in the middle of COVID, where we are here in the office right now, on the panel, on a mobile phone call. We did two-parter. If you haven't heard it um, to our listeners, go back through our previous episodes, have a listen. I've, we've not done an episode that's had as much response, which 
you know, we, we do get feedback all the time mm-hmm. from people who've enjoyed a certain episode or a chat with someone, but the Thomas one went bananas. And it's not just because of how he talks and it's not just because of the cool stories. I think it was the the jaw on the ground stuff of how he, you know, up to motor racing. It, it's <coughs> it's stunning. But surely there's a Thomas story or two from that time because he and Brock actually made a good little duo when you would go and do those mobile gigs and telecom mobile net. You were kind of the moderator in between all of Well, that. I'll tell, I'll tell you how that eventuated um, and I'll write about that. Not, not sure what, what issue of Muscle Car Mag it's going in, if at all, but anyway, um, is that that first season in 94, um, and I can't remember what the circuit was, but it was it was a weird one that I think we did, must have been practice Friday, practice qualifying Saturday, something like that anyway. And anyway, on the Saturday afternoon, we had to go to visit one of the sponsors at the end of the thing. Oh, okay, right up. Now, early doors for me. This is before we started the, what we called the Dog and Pony Show. So uh, basically, you know, someone from the sponsor would stand up there and say, oh, yeah, we got the drivers here, you know, Peter Brock now up there. Peter, typical Peter, you know. Oh, yeah, a bit of a difficult today today, but, you know, we're working our way through it. And, yeah, the usual stuff. Yeah, he's very good at it. Chat, chat, chat. No, Thomas, was it? Thomas would get up there and went up there and went, oh, well, bloody shit, day to day. You know, the car was a bucket of pus. You know, wouldn't bloody well go. And the bloody tyres were dreadful. It was a Bridgestone function. Yeah, I was about to say, I reckon I know which function it was too. The Bridgestone function. Brutal honesty from Thomas. Oh, dear, oh, dear. And I thought, oh, dear, I think there might be a little bit of feedback on this one. Ah. <laughs> So Crenay called me in the following week and he said, well, he said, we can't have that. I said, yeah, yeah. I tend to agree with you, John. He said, right, he said, I want you to be the moderator. I need you to control these things. He said, Brock, no problem. But he said, basically, we need to teach Thomas how to do these things. So he said, I want you to map out um, a list of questions that don't get into areas where we're all going to get into trouble. So you ask, say, Brock this question and he answers it and ask Thomas the same question. Question two, you ask of Thomas, then you ask it of and so on through the thing. So we did that. And, and oh, well, that was okay because we controlled the narrative and it was all very nice and we, you know, and this one on there, okay, that's fine. Yeah. Well, that was good the second time, the third time, fourth, fifth, sixth. Yeah. And then after about ten or a dozen times or so, you know, he's got the hang of it and, and Brock always had the hang of it anyway. So we're there one day and and, and Thomas, uh, was Brock went um, – he was talking a little bit about how you know he learned to get into motor racing and da da da. He wouldn't never gave much away, and um, and Brock went. He said, "Well, it's pretty good coming from you." He said, "When you learn to drive in a bloody Skoda." Thomas has just stopped going. Where's my script? You know, this is not <laughs> this in the is script not in anywhere. The script. Oh, uh, you should talk. You raced a bloody Austin A thirty, <laughs> and Brock said, "Oh, he's got me." And then the, we I sort of went basically. That's it. We're right with that. We don't have to worry about that anymore. Yeah. And then I would just run with it. Um, and, and and he would give as good as he get. I mean, he and then he loved setting up subtly setting up Brock. And one of my, my favourite ones was whenever at the, the weekends it was me and the two drivers usually in, in the car to and from the track, etc. That way you can sort of control the narrative of where they are. Um, and we were coming back from Barbagallo one day, uh, back into Perth for Park Royal where we were staying. And um, Brock sitting next to me in the front, Thomas in the back. Uh, and, um, you know, they're drawing along, yabba, yabba, da, and Brock's phone rings. Oh, hello, 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 hello. And this is this is in the day before call ID, right? Mm. It was just a phone call. Mm, mm. Uh, I said, oh, okay. Three or four minutes down the track, phone rings. Hello, hello. Oh, must be bad coverage here. And about three or four minutes, and all of a sudden I looked at the rear vision mirror, and I'm seeing... I'm seeing Buglugs Mazira in the back with a silly grin on his face, the phone down. So he's hitting Brock's phone number. And as soon as Brock goes to answer, Brock's got the window down. He's holding the phone out. Well, we might get better Trying coverage. to get better reception. <laughs> Trying to work out who the person was because it must be important. They kept ringing back. I better, I better take this phone call. He's literally hanging out the car trying to get a phone call and Thomas is just sitting in the back bouncing up and down laughing. <laughs> it was, you know, I was shocked as I said. Good fun, but they got on well. And Thomas was very funny. We got him as he got more used to it. I don't know, I think it might have Queensland or somewhere, and and finally said, "Well, you know," I said, "Brock, you ask him." And I said, 
how did you, you know, get to be racing cars in Australia when you came out of an Iron Curtain country? Mm. You know, how, how did you do it? Um, and that's when he started to get the job. I mean, the, the, the fact that, I mean, we didn't know that we started those chats that he was an absolute top line downhill square. Mm. It was mm. it was that close that's to what helped him get out. Yeah, he was that close to the the Olympic team. Mm. Yeah, you know, it was that that good. Um, but you know, I want to be a racing car driver. Well, anyone who drives a skater wouldn't want to be not <laughs> the skaters of those days. The only way was up from there. Yeah, and so yeah, and then to get out and sort of you know get a thumb a lift with some people. And uh, where are you going? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to escape mm. and I'm trying to get to Austria. Mm. I like the way he – did he tell you about how he got to uh, Australia? Yeah, where mm. it was going to take forever to get to the US and they said it will take not very long to go to well, Australia anyway. Okay, they'll do it. He said, uh, AM America, AU Australia. Oh, it sounds Fair like enough. a bit like Austria. That'll do. I'll go there. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. the next thing you know I'm on the bloody other side of the world. Yeah, yeah. he, he lobs in Sydney I think in 1979. And nine years later, he's won Bathurst. Yeah, and no, no is, English, um, yeah, washing yeah. dishes. Yeah, yeah, working in a panel shop, yeah. all that stuff. I mean, yeah. go and have a listen. If, if you're listening to this I episode agree. and you haven't, go and have a listen. It's a two-parter and I reckon your jaw will be on the ground if you haven't heard it before because mm-hmm. it's it's simply stunning. I've talked to some people who make docos and told them to have a listen to try to – because I reckon we'd have to twist Thomas's arm to mm. do something like that. Mm. But it's an incredible story of, of how it – not just the racing but and how well he went overseas but of – what he did to get there yeah. to start with, which is that's the crux of the oh. story for me. Now, Thomas ended up out because there was this kid called Craig who had turned up the year you turned up, had filled in for Rickard Rydell, who was the Volvo British Touring Car driver that Tom Walkinshaw was going to have come and do the Enduros. I think he, his wife had a baby, couldn't come to Sandown. Sandown. Kid drives, kid goes really good. Set the fastest lap of any four of the four drivers, Brad Jones being the other. We put him in for Bathurst. All right, he crashed the car in the warm-up and he spun it, but there's no vision. Finishes second, the rest is kind of history there. But the and the lounge thing was woof. The the torch, uh, the the match was lit there, mm. Mm. but it didn't because he couldn't get in a full-time drive there. So he's trying to do the overseas thing. And then 96 is this unbelievable year where your team virtually has been it's had two years of okayness. It's got a bit better. Oh, mate, we had. But you're on the brink of. We had the, the carpet being pulled out. A from real, yeah, ninety five. Yeah, ninety five was was just. You know, it was there was hints of things happening in ninety five. Um, what what were the hints? What did well, the you hints see that the, the, the car speed was starting to come up there, um, and um, you know we we were get starting to get there, but not quite. Things would break and what have you. Um, the brake thing, broken thing, would continue for a while. But as we sort of try to make the things, how far can we go with this development? Mm. And been no brake, but and famously but, Bathurst, both cars out with engines within the first stint. I know. Which was um, the and, ultimate. And, and and Brock Brock doing a Brock, you know, like, uh, you know, comes in. Well, this couple laps early. Couple? Oh, about six, about seven, ten or something. Because yeah, yeah. they're supposed to be, they, they're nowhere Back in those about days, 30, 32, 32 laps, laps yeah. I think. He came in at lap, lap 20 something, early, yeah. early 20s, you know. Yeah. And everyone's going, there was a reason why. And, and, and Tom's going, well, what's Brock coming in for, you know? And uh, Brock said, oh, didn't you call me in? You know, gets out, hands Thomas's winging helmet, plugs everything, trying to get in the car. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, drove out and he said, this thing's, you know, words. To the effect that it wasn't going very well. It's lit up uh, like a bloody Christmas, Christmas tree. tree. Bloody oh. lights everywhere. There's no, you know, you know. Brock was saying, "Oh, it's, it's Brock would do." Yeah, it was fine when I got out, out of it. it. <laughs> it's um, pretty much welded to itself. Yeah, and uh, so that one, um, that and the other one failed as well, mm. uh, pretty quickly. Turned out it was a, um, it's a head gasket problem. It was a change of batch of gaskets. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So it was nothing that we external. did. It was an external supply yeah. and my dud batch of battery, but. Um, when we were basically the things packed up by what, twelve, mm. uh, everything's packed up, and the cars are in the bloody garage or, or in the truck, and everyone's basically gone. Mm. Jeff Jeffrey was on the road. Mm. Well, where are you? And he said, "Oh, about Kulak, Crenna <laughs> um, uh, on a plane back to Sydney." I'm going. Oh, geez, well, I'm going to have to go. I'm going to have to front Holden. So I fronted Holden, and um, I think was it, oh, I think it was Wayne. Garden was waxing lyrical about, you know, how good his car was and how good the team's going so well and, and Larry was out there killing him and doing all that sort of stuff and uh, uh, one of the Holden guys is, is, is going, oh, well, it's great to see some of the Holdens are going really, really well. Got really pointed stuff to all the Holden fans. And I'm out, the, I'm out in the, uh, the decking outside, you know, just going, oh, it's finished soon, I can get out of here. Um, and uh, one of the other Holden heavies, 
uh, he said, you're right. Well, I went, not particularly. I mm. said, I'm sitting and listening to all that and crap in there. And I said that, that um, I said, everyone's buggered off and gone home. And I said, you saw I'm sitting here copping flack. Not quite my role, but anyway, we'll get by. So so the pressure was on mm. over the next few weeks and, and that was Kevin Whale I was talking to and Kevin was the one that said, no, we're staying the, we're staying with the, the HRT and the Walkinshaw thing. So, um, And then, uh, yeah, that's when, when Craig got the job the next year full time. Um, and uh, that Eastern Creek thing was just sensational. Round we one. Loved Eastern Under Creek. Under lights. Under lights. Never done, we'd never done it before. Really, we'd done Calder. Yeah, but, yeah. But the, this was a proper one, a championship round, and um, and he won the bloody thing. And oh, Which was he, a surprise to you guys as well? I think so. We knew he had a good bit of kit, but, but uh, you know, was he going to be good enough? Can he do three races? You know, it's under lights. There's so many variables. Um, and the, the, the thing he was driving was a jet. Mm. Um, you know, the guys had really worked out. Bridgestone had done a bloody amazing job because you, you had your Bridgestone. Because you could play those games mops. in those days yeah. where oh, everyone had God, I wish of... we still did that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and, he, and he won it. And I went down and met him on the front straight in front of the grandstand in front of the control tower. Um, when he, he pulled in the top three and we got out there and got out of the car and I gave him his cap and he put it on. We just sort of standing there. He said, what will I do? And I said, just wave over there to that lot. And the typical Craig smile, hey, can <laughs> you know, and the place just erupted. They went, what a good bloke he is. <laughs> and not only does he does he win a race, he waves at us. Um, and, th- and that was it. Why it went from there. Uh, and it just... He couldn't put a foot wrong. Well, he did want to put a foot wrong at Bathurst um, in the um, that round that year. Oh, the touring yeah, car round yeah, with Gardner. Uh, with, right. with, yeah, with uh, yeah. Wayne Gardner and yeah, uh, yeah. Wayne wasn't particularly pleased. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, yeah, Brock was good, had a few good words from him on the way back to Sydney. But, um, but yeah, he was just unbelievable. And then when you you got the two juniors together with Murph when it came to Sandown and Bathurst, and particularly Bathurst, just mm. off, the, off the scale. Mm. Off the scale. That, uh, that, that next morning. Oh. Yeah, I've got the photo somewhere of those two there lying in the pit lane, uh, feeling somewhat sorry for themselves, mm-hmm. uh, which I think just about every Bathurst after celebration sense has been measured against the day <laughs> after. Of course, there's, you know, the national live TV appearances yeah. and stuff like that oh, now. God, yeah. um, everyone compares back to those photos of how those two bugger lugs ended up. Yeah. Passed out in the pit lane because oh. they had, what, an yeah. hour's sleep or yeah. something. Yeah, and you like want us to do what? Well, we've got to do this photo for Holden. And you've got to with be the winning there. car, and I remember with, that. Yeah. With the winning car and the road car, yeah. and you've got to have your driving suits on. And they went, driving suits? Those oh, things covered, in, covered champagne. in champagne, pissed in oh, and, and sweat, and, oh. they're, and they're going to put these things on and they go. Oh. <laughs> and and oh. still it was just over, half drunk. drunk. Yeah, yeah great. great. It was a great time. Uh, but that was the magic year. Championship win, Sandown win, Bathurst win, and then New Zealand because mm. Murph jumps in and wins that series. Oh, that's right. We did New Zealand. At the end that of the year as well. Right. That was but, a right. But the Lowndes thing, yes, he'd arrived two years earlier with that move on John Bow. We could trace that back. <laughs> but the 96 year to the point where 60 Minutes, remember, did a feature yep. story on him. Mm. That to me is the underlining of that's the – that's like Brock. That's not just among the motor racing faithful. That's taking your mainstream. Mm. That's going to the next level. And that's when the team went next level. Mm. So Brock kind of got it bubbling away by arriving, but then the kid turns up at the right time and wins and the team's rolling and suddenly, well, your first full-time year is very full-time. It was a very, very, very good thing. The thing, because you obviously think back on these sorts of things these days and you go, the key to the whole thing was the three blokes who ran the ship. Jeff Greck as team manager, John Crennan as the overall head honcho here in Australia, mm. and Tom Walkinshaw, who had the faith, put enough faith in these guys, particularly Jeff, because Jeff came off the workshop floor and then Jeff then got a whole bunch of people around him uh, that he wanted, that he could work with. He knew most of them from Gibson's. Mm, I was going to say it was yeah. a whole pile of ex-Gibson yeah, blokes. Yeah, they, the basically they opened the door know, and the Gibson's guy good. went Come out there in. and we put, took the red windfield tops off them and put <laughs> our blue ones on or whatever they were at the time. Um, so he, he took a punt on those guys and said, what do we need? Oh, we need this equipment, that equipment. We need shock absorber uh, measuring things and all that technical mm. stuff. And um, and he went to, to, to Crenna and said, oh, I'm going to need the money for this. And Tom just went, well, do it, bankroll it. Um, and then the fourth aspect of all that, uh, connected to the success, was the merchandising. I was about to say it was T-shirts and stuff. Uh-huh. Because the T-shirts funded the race team. 
basically. Which has been said and written about before. I don't think our listeners and the fans quite understand. Merchandise now is nothing like what it was then and in the size of it. Like we're talking millions and millions and millions of dollars that millions. you know when it race budgets mm. in you, the millions. Well, you think of your favourite football team. Doesn't yeah. matter if it's AFL, NRL, or you know, uh, or either um, the soccer. Um, they tend to be geographically um, polarised to a certain extent. Mm. AFL, particularly down here. Um, but when you had something like Holden and Ford, it's national. Yeah, uh, and it's New Zealand. Mm. So that was that was the other thing, and and we started the first year or two, and we went down to say Tasmania. We took three big uh, boxes or crates, and they had one had um, one had polo shirts in it, one had t shirts in it, and the other one had caps in it and some stickers and various other things. And that's that was the range of the merchandising, mm. and uh, and you have a little a little tent thing with a with a a, or a table, um, and they sold out of that. Now, from that within like two to three years became a purpose truck mm. um, and hocker structures everywhere that with, with the whole thing went off. Now, um, I don't think Cronulla mine, but it was my understanding and he confirmed it recently that our turnover in that sort of late 1990s to early 2000s turnover annually was in the $20 million region. Just for the merch. Just for the merch. So you could – basically you could have run the race team on the merch. Mm. All right? And then by that stage it's more than T-shirts and caps. It's, it's anything, anything you could, you could think put of. a Holden Racing Team logo. Underpants, mm. all that sort of stuff. And, and, and the model car thing just went oh, through the roof. Mm. Um, and we'd had have people at Bathurst – you know, coming out of there, having they've just spent between six hundred bucks to a six hundred to a thousand dollars on stuff, and they go, "Oh, pretty cool stuff, eh?" Because uh, all the Kiwis have come over. I still see it. You go down a shopping centre, or you go out and about. <laughs> you still see dead set yes. two thousand. You still see spec, it on, on the television. Spec, HRT merch, jackets, caps. And you could just about pick because there was enough change year on year because the livery changed on the car. Mm. Then the gear had to change, so you had to get the latest gear mm. to match the car, to match the team that yeah. you followed. So you could now go, oh, yeah, there's an 05 jacket. There's a 98 yeah. cap there. Yeah. Or, yeah, it's, Absolutely. It's I mean, you'd, 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 all these people have spent that money at Bathurst and then you'd see the same people at the first round of the following year going, oh, I had to Update. buy new stuff because of, new this, is, this is all new stuff. <laughs> and you're thinking, oh, just yeah. a, a, a massive. We loved them to death. Yeah, just a behemoth that yeah. started rolling. How was Lowndes when he, you just said before about the whole, oh, okay, you know, the smile still there and all that stuff. When he was, when he first turned up, it was really raw. How did you have to grab a hold of him with a bit of me? I remember there was a bit of media training and a bit of that sort of stuff. But a lot of it, I guess, just comes from experience and just being exposed and doing it. I think what we learned with that dog and pony thing I mentioned before, with particularly on the Thomas side of things, we learned from that. Um, and so, we thought well, we've got to be the same thing with Craig. We can't let him loose initially by himself. So we, we, we then basically you unplug Thomas and you plug in Craig and then go back to that, you know, talking mm. and asking a question and getting a response and steering through any troubled waters and what have you. And then they got used to it. You'll take, we'd go to the uh, uh, Phillip Island Light Car Club. You know, a month uh, they'd have a meeting every now and again. So they say, oh, would you, you know, Craig, yeah, 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 I'll go out because he – because he would, he didn't mind doing those mm. things in those days, and so you, you do a pretty comfortable evening and take questions from the floor, and you, you, and and it just then grew from there because you got the idea of how to do it. He had the natural personality to do it. That's the other thing. If you don't have the personality, uh, that makes it really difficult. And we got you know um, guys that are in the uh, in the category today that just don't have the personality. Mm. They do what needs to be done. Yeah. They'll do the, the, the media dog and pony show, oh, yeah, the car was good today, oh, the crew, the, the crew done a fantastic job, blah, 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 but you don't get anything of the person. Mm. So, but he had that personality so the person came out in him. Um, I think, to going down the track a little bit further, it was the same with Scaife. We tended to loosen him up a bit because he had a, there was a perception about uh, Mark uh, of being a hard-ass which a lot of that was not, a lot of it was actually to do with their sponsor mm. because you couldn't, you know, I, I can't have photos of him and you know, all, all this sort of stuff because of that Winfield thing. Mm. But when we got him over to the red side, um, into the official red side. Um, and, <laughs> the other red side. And, and then sort of he saw how we rolled again with the, with the Brock thing, you know, he went, okay, that's, that's how we play the game. So, but, but certainly in a garage, 
Mark's Mark. Don't don't try and sort of you know change that. But we got him outside that to be, and he's a very funny guy. Mm. And he was we had a lot of laughs together. And most people would say, "You really? Oh, yeah. yeah." He he was a scallywag. Still is. And that yes. And Still. that was most of that was Jimmy Richards' fault. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, so I then. think he taught him a few things. Just yeah, quietly. I think so. You're right there. Along the way, I think Joe admits that. And that's part one of our chat with Wally Weissel as we take a look inside the Holden Racing Team's golden era. On part two, he tells some more ripping stories. We talk about how he buried a huge story about Craig Lowndes injuring himself a week out from Bathurst in 1996. We talk about Peter Brock's retirement and the controversy around Brocky's 1994 Bathurst Commodore and why Wall is still mad about it. We talk too about how Mark Scaife started winning over the team on the very first day that he arrived at HRT. And of course, plenty, plenty more from inside HRT's golden era. Don't forget too, you can jump online our website, vhsluth.com.au, packed with stories, packed with content to keep you going in between the races and all of the stuff that's going on in 2022. Uh, our bookshop, bookshop.v8 Of course, the Holden Racing Team book is currently open for pre-order. All the cars from 1989 to 2016. It is the second edition with a bunch of photos that have never been published, updated over the first edition. A whole pile of stuff's happened with a whole pile of cars in the last five years. It's a must-have book. You can pre-order your copy now via bookshop.v8sleuth.com. Join our newsletter through the website. Follow us on socials. You know the drill if you're a regular listener. If you're not a regular listener, subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode and you get the notifications of when every F is landing. Right, that's it. We're done. Part one of Inside HRT's Golden Era is done. We'll have part two for you next week. I'm Aaron Noonan. Thanks for joining us on the VHC Podcast Powered by Repco. We'll chat to you next week. The things these streets have seen, like legends, half man, half machine, who head up north to go down in history. But here in the Ville, nothing comes for free, because here, there's no should. These streets reveal what's really under the hood. If these streets could talk, they wouldn't. They'd roar. They've seen the unforgettable, and they just want more. NTI Townsville 500. Book now at Ticketech. Australian Muscle Car Magazine is one of the most respected voices in motoring media. There's been over 140 issues and thousands of stories published in the last 22 years. From the amazing muscle car machines of the past to the present and the stars that steered and built them, AMC has something for everyone. Delve into the heritage of homegrown high performance now at musclecarmag.com.au.